Hey friends, well, after a long and for many of you cold winter, are you ready to bring the spirit of the islands into your home? Look no further than Home Threads, where comfort meets coastal living. At HomeThreads.com, you can discover a collection inspired by the tranquility of the beach. From breezy linens to stylish coastal decor, they've got everything you need to turn your home into a seaside retreat, and always at the best value. If you haven't been to the Home Threads website yet, you have to go check it out, see their beautiful bedding, everything they have for your kitchen, lighting, workspace, and a gift guide, which has something for everyone on your list. I'm thinking ahead to Mother's Day, Father's Day, anniversaries, birthdays, and more. So visit homethreads.com forward slash Monica and get a code for 15% off your first order. Because whether you're on the islands or dreaming of the sea, Home Threads brings the beach to you. Home Threads, love where you live. Christian Parenting Aloha friends, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast, powered by Christian Parenting. I am Monica Swanson, mom to four boys, podcast host and author of Boy Mom, What Your Son Needs Most From You. Here on the podcast, it's my goal to bring you practical advice and biblical wisdom for raising boys in this sometimes crazy world. You can always find show notes over at monicaswanson.com forward slash podcast. I'm so glad you're here. One of them laying in bed said, can we have our bedtime blessing now? And we, and we exchanged this, you know, reminder of God's love for us, no matter what good or bad things we do, no matter how good or bad the evening routine went, no matter how good or bad my parenting habits were or their behavior was. And it was a special moment. And I realized at that moment that this is the power of practicing good parenting habits. Hey friends, so good to be with you today. Happy March. Can you believe it's already March? This year is flying by. Well, I'm so glad you're taking some time to hang out with me today. And I'm so excited to share today's guest with you, somebody I've become a big fan of. I have become a big fan of Justin and his whole family, which includes his wife, Lauren, and yes, their four sons. Now, Justin Whitmell Early, I know that's a a mouthful, but he's worthy of a, a big, long name. He is the author of one of my new favorite books. Truly, his book, Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms, has been one of my favorites. I keep returning to it. I say in our interview, I I read it aloud to my husband. I've just loved it. I've given it as gifts. So I think you're going to love Justin if you're not already familiar with him. Uh, He's actually a lawyer, a speaker, a writer. He used to be a missionary, quite a guy, and I think you're going to enjoy getting to know him through this interview. So I just want to pause real quick to say thank you so much for being a part of this podcast community. If you haven't subscribed yet, that's a great way to make sure you don't miss any episodes. And you can do that just by going into your podcast app and you just hit that little, usually it's a plus sign, but follow is now the same as subscribe. And also just keep telling your friends about this podcast. Our downloads have just grown and grown every month. And it's so encouraging to think of how many people all around the world are getting encouragement from all my guests. And this community is just growing in such a special way. So thank you for all your support and love and for your ratings and reviews as well. If you haven't left one yet, here's your reminder. 
they make a difference. So thanks, guys. All right, I want to dive right into this conversation. I'll have a few final words to say at the end, but without further ado, let's talk about Habits of the Household with Justin Whitmell Early. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Justin, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, well, you are a boy dad, and you're in the thick of those boys. Before we jump into our topic, why don't you tell everybody a little about you and those wild boys and your family and what you do? You bet. I am a corporate lawyer by you know training and day, so that's actually my main vocation, doing business law. I write books and talk about habits and spiritual formation on the side, both in work and technology and in, and now in parenting with this book, because the biggest and most important part of my life is being a husband to Lauren and a father to Wit, Ash, Colt, and Shep, who are, at the time of this recording, if I can remember it right, nine, seven, four, and three. It keeps changing, so it's hard <laughs> to remember. So yeah, right? we're, in the, we're in the thick of the, um, the uh, little boy years, and I was so excited you asked to talk because I was like, I've got so many questions for Monica, so I'm going to do this <laughs> to ask your advice too. You bet. Oh, we could we could talk all day long, and you know, so many fun things in common. I'm my father's a lawyer, my brother's a lawyer, so uh, oh, no, I'm. You're surrounded. I mean, yeah, I am. I am, and it's it's such a fun um, conversation. But I think it's really cool that you uh, have kind of found this on the side. Will you give us kind of the background, how your first book came to be, and and just your personal story? Yeah, that's a big part of. That's a big part of my life and story and how I came to write about habits in the first place. So I'll keep it short for here. But the short version is I actually started my career outside of college with my wife, Lauren, as missionaries in China until I felt a real calling to come back to the States um, and, and live and work missionally in law and business, which is a loaded statement, but maybe the subject for a different podcast. But I really did feel called to um, be a lawyer. And because of that, um, and just because of my personality, I went at law school and, you know, being, uh, being a lawyer with all the fervor of a man on a call. And I, what I realize now is that I unconsciously assimilated to all the typical habits and practices of um, this sort of American law school and lawyering life, which are not Uh that different, (laughs) you know, than every than everybody else's, but they're just kind of, you know, sure. on speed. Yeah. And I had a really, really um, dangerous, bad and difficult anxiety crash my first year of lawyering where mm-hmm. I was left with panic attacks and constant insomnia. Um, I went from being a really, really happy, low-key, stressed um, dad of two boys at the time to mm-hmm. somebody who is unable to sleep, worried about keeping their job, either drinking or taking medication just to fall asleep. And so wow. what had happened was that ironically, the missionary had become converted to the nervous medicating lawyer yeah, in such wow. short order. And it, it took me a long time to sort out. So I'm compressing the story. But yeah, in the yeah. end, I realized that my my head was in the right place the whole time. So I so it seemed. But when my what I realized is my habits had led my heart into this world of anxiety and busyness. And that's when I really started to key into the way that habits do guide your heart um, spiritually and the the way that habits function as small liturgies in your day-to-day routines. And so that was what my first book, The Common Rule, was about. It was about structuring 
your normal work and technology routines into liturgies and habits that can lead you into presence and attention, um, both to your work and friends and family and to, and to God. So, wow. it, and then it was only after that, that I, I realized, oh my gosh, all this habit and spiritual formation stuff applies to parenting too. So totally. here I am. Yeah, no, I've, I've had experiences like that where you have like something really revolutionary happen and it takes time to realize that it actually applies to so much more. Okay. Before though, we go into that, how it applies to family. I'm just personally curious. So I'm assuming mm -hmm. listeners are too. Can we hear a little bit more about how, how you even kind of put the pieces together when you had that crash? Now, this was after law school, you were already lawyering, I guess. Yeah, after three years of law school and into my first year of lawyering, and I'm actually glad you asked because it, it merits a bit of unpacking. But mental illness is complicated, right? And so anybody that hears a quick story about it is like, wait, tell me more. Um, I really did crash very low and stayed very low with anxiety and, and struggling with, you know, kind of mild substance abuse to cope for almost over about a year. And there was a watershed moment where me and two of my best friends sat down at a restaurant to go over a pattern of daily and weekly habits that I was going to commit to because I tried counseling and, you know, it wasn't really changing much. I had tried medication. It wasn't really changing much. My wife and I decided, I was very open and vulnerable about this the whole time, which I think was really important. I wasn't hiding yes. anything from anyone, but I right. was really struggling. Yeah. And you my wanted wife and I decided, you wanted yeah, oh, yeah. So I was actually just being a good boy this particular evening and saying, I'll try anything. And my wife and I had come up with some limiting patterns just to my days and weeks that we thought maybe my chance would rein in my chaos. So I asked these friends to keep me accountable to them, having no idea how much they would actually change my life. Cause I had no idea at the time how much the smallest and most ordinary patterns of our days and weeks actually really do form us spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically in the most extraordinary ways. And as my life began to drastically change, I started to ask deeper questions and started to read as a lawyer, like, and, you know, amateur theologian like myself is prone to do just start to study why yeah. this mattered so much. And so that's what kind of led to my, the underlying thesis of my work that habits functions as daily liturgies, but I try to apply them really practically to things like scripture before phone in the morning to anchor yourself in the love of God instead of the searching you know, existential crises of the internet, simple practices like daily communal meals with people to try to anchor your schedule around community rather than rush. Uh, things like an hour with your phone off in the evening to try to emphasize practices of presence. They're all really simple things, but I still do them every day. This is like um, awesome. six or seven years later, and they've really, really changed my walk with Jesus, which is really, I guess, the most important endorsement I have of them. Oh, they really, really changed the way I walk with him wow. as an ordinary wow. corporate lawyer and parent. Okay. I love that. And so at that time you had two kids. Yes. Yes. And you, how long ago did that book come out? That book actually came out in 2019, I believe, which was just after my fourth son was born. So I started writing it when I, I think I conceived of the idea when I had two sons, was writing it during my third son's first year. And then we had a surprise fourth son that came quickly <laughs> on the heels of our third. Um, wow. Yes, yay and embarrassing and, and tough at all the same time. And it was published right after he was born. So I remember I was editing final versions of the manuscript with him 
sleeping on my lap as like a two month year old. Crazy time. Wow. Okay. So that's what, and say the name of that book again, just so everyone can tune into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that book is called the common rule habits of purpose for an age of distraction. Awesome. Okay. I'm excited to read that one as well. Okay. And then you've got a house full of boys and yes, and uh, how did the pieces kind of fit together? How did you connect the dots to really start to apply this to your family life? Yeah. I, again, you're going to expose all my embarrassing episodes here because <laughs> okay, that's what we do here. That, yeah. <laughs> apparently all my books come out of crisis. Cause, uh-huh. so what, what happened is I'm thinking a lot and I'm writing a lot about these habits of technology and work and busyness. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, my life is not getting more simple. It's getting more complicated and more busy because there are four boys now in my house. And I remember there was this evening where I was doing the bedtime routine, which routine is maybe a generous term, right? It was just like <laughs> there is in with our boys at that time and really still now. I mean, it was it's bathwater on the floor. It's board books being used as weapon. Um, it's often uh, denigrates into uh, naked wrestling matches and yeah. some of it is like so fun and like so wild and crazy and enjoyable but the shadow side of it which is real is that it's also just hard it, I mean they're they're kind of wild I think they're like maybe on the wilder side of normal children but all kids all kids and all you know parenting is wild right so yeah. what happened is I did I remember this night I did what I usually do and that was just at some point I turned into like the screaming taskmaster um, who's really using anger, frustration, and sometimes blunt force just to get the PJs on, get the teeth brushed, get into bed, all these things. And so when I, when I, yeah, right. I think this is, again, not, not, not unusual. Um, I, I get them into bed. I say a short prayer, tell them I love them. And I close the door and I remember standing in the hallway thinking, I, I just like, used anger and force to get them in bed and told them I love them and said a prayer. Like, what do they think love means? And, and what does it mean that this is not unusual for me to act like this, that this is typical, like their memory of bedtime would probably be like, Oh, that's when that dad gets really mad. And that was my watershed moment where I realized there were all these other habits of the household where again, I started to apply that liturgical thinking and thinking like, Oh, I am acting out these liturgies of anger, frustration, and impatience. And they're probably forming my children more than anything I'm saying or doing intentionally. And that's when I started to, I started to think really hard about this. It began with developing a bedtime liturgy, but I'll, I'll hold that story for a moment just to say that it was the realization that I think everybody needs to have of what, what your normal is. And that was a really humbling realization for me. And that's when I wanted to start to apply this habit thinking to the home. I'm glad you shared that story. I relate more than I want to admit. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's the habits of the household, practicing the story of God in everyday family rhythms is the book that grew out of that. But I'm going to say when I'm reading out loud to my husband out of a book, you know, it's (laughs) it's good. And Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I have opened to many sections and been like, I, I'm, we're writing a parenting book right now. Like this is what I do, but you really nailed some important things. And so I'm really thrilled to get to share this and this idea, because I agree with you that 
there's so often something that, that we're frustrated with that we don't like, but it's like, what do we do about it? And sometimes the answer is more practical than we think. Yes. So I just really, really do appreciate that. Um, Tell us a little bit more about the bedtime liturgy. And then I would love to, you know, just touch on a few other topics that you cover in this book and maybe you could share some practical help with all of us. Yeah, absolutely. So the, what happened following that evening um, was I remember having, by God's grace, this was just a really, I think, moment of divine intervention. I, I happened to have a, pa- a conversation with a pastor about a week later who I was sharing some of this with, and and his name is Derek, and he has two boys around the same age. And he was he started to share with me a bedtime liturgy that he uses for his kids. Um, and I was inspired by the idea because right? Again, this is like supposed to be my thing, you know, developing habits as liturgies. I just hadn't applied it to bedtime and parenting. So I go back and I, and I write out this liturgy, which was based on his, and I try it out with the boys one night. Um, and so here's, here's how it goes. I, I look at them and I say, can you see my eyes? And they say, yes. And then I say, can you see that I see your eyes? And they say, yes. And then I say, do you know that I love you? And they say, yes. And then I say, do you know that um, I love you no matter what bad things you do? They say, yes. And then I say, and you know, I love you no matter what good things you do. And they say, yes. And I say, who else loves you like that? And they say, God does. Now, this this is like a really special, you know, written call and response to me, right? But you can imagine how this goes over with three, four, five-year-old boys. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. they, they like took the eye stuff as invitations to poke my eyes in each other's sure. eyes. They were confused mm-hmm. by what I was saying there. But one of the things that I learned about habits is that nothing is a habit until it is. And so all important habits of your household life and work, I mean, you've got to practice them before they become normal. And so I did this a couple of times and they started to learn the right answers. And I started to, you know, learn the right, right times to, to ask them. And we had a really, really significant moment that was the, the pivot point for me about a week and a half later where otherwise. Monica, it was like totally the chaotic night that I'd had a couple weeks back. Everything else was just the same. You know, there's still little boys who are wild and chaotic, and I'm still prone to anger and frustration. But one of them laying in bed said, can we have our bedtime blessing now? And we, and we exchanged this, you know, reminder of God's love for us, no matter what good or bad things we do, no matter how good or bad the evening routine went, no matter how good or bad my parenting habits were or their behavior was. And it was a special moment. And I realized at that moment that this is the power of practicing good parenting habits. It's not that they change everything and make life easy. That's just not what's going to happen. That's just not what parenting is meant. Like parenting is meant, I think, to be hard so that we become humbled and more dependent on God and love him more. But what it did show me is that good parenting habits can change your knee-jerk reactions to the otherwise hard, ordinary, complicated situations. And in that way, they become new avenues of God's grace that he will work into these kinds of moments and lead our hearts and the hearts of our children towards new outcomes. And that's really what I'm after in the rest of the book, that sort of interruptive pattern, largely for parents to see that this moment doesn't have to be the frustrating outburst of anger that it usually is. There are actually other paths you can, by the grace of Jesus, actually practice and go there. And there are good things waiting for you there. Wow. And it doesn't have to be that hard. That's what I love is 
you really make these doable and like it's a small shift sometimes, right? But it can change. They, the uh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the most important things for better or for worse are small things. I think one of the things that I've learned in writing about habits like this is that the small things are the big things mm-hmm. and God will use small things as enormous levers of grace, as small practices, small acts of faithfulness to him. I mean, this is all over the gospels, right? God takes small things and, and makes them big and makes them bear fruit, small seeds of faith, small, small actions of faith. And, um, and I think he's faithful to do that in little habits. So yeah, all this stuff I'm talking about is little, little things that create big, big opportunities of grace. Absolutely. I love it. And I know your kids are still young. I've, I've shared before, and I think I share in my book, Boy Mom, that when my oldest son was a teenager and, you know, the little bit of space starts growing in there and, and maybe you're not as touchy feely as you used to be. At some point I started just making a little, uh, bedtime routine of just a hug before bed every night. Mm -hmm. And I know this isn't a prayer or a liturgy, but in a sense, it really became one because it was like, you know, we may not hug all day, but I don't want this to become the thing where, oh, wow, it's been so long. Now it's weird to hug. So I was like, okay, new rule before bed every night, we need to hug. And every once in a while, I do the thing where I'd be like, oh, you know, science proves that if you hold a hug for 10 seconds, it releases really healthy chemicals so uh-huh. let's let's hold it now about 10 9 and yeah. you know <laughs> I, love that. I could tell something good was happening there but after doing it just like your story after doing that for a while sometimes you know he'd be heading to bed and I'd be like okay good night and he'd be like um and he'd kind of pause and I'd be like oh he's waiting for the hug and so oh, I love told that. Parents, yeah that if you've got the the kids going into those teenage years that even something as simple as that if you kind of make it your habit they're they're gonna it's gonna impact them it's gonna make a new normal that can just change the the course of how things go so I love it I'm so okay. glad you mentioned that because I I've been transitioning with my nine-year-old who is starting to seem a lot older than the seven, four and three-year-old. And I've been, I've been wondering, you know, how this shifts. Cause usually now he's staying up later than coming under bed and saying good night. And he's been asking like, can I have my bedtime blessing? Mm-hmm. But I can tell it's starting to go towards a less, um, you know, just less of a rote moment and more of a, a hug and what can I pray for you briefly for before you go to bed and I'm just I'm just glad you said that because it it shows me avenues of where this stuff can go go because I admittedly write about little kids for most yes for the most part yep well and and you'll figure it out each one is going to be unique but all of my boys have something mm-hmm. we do every night before bed. So certainly uh, it, they, they still need us. They still want all those things. Right, right, uh, right. Okay, I love it. Now, there's so many topics I want you to touch on and offer maybe just something really practical we can do. But I'll I'll start with the topic of discipline. We, we talk yeah. here on the podcast about discipline. And uh, I read out loud a story um, about discipline that you shared. I marked page 71. Okay, people marked <laughs> Which one 71. is it? I, I'm so curious. I don't know, but but what I'll just read the quote that I circled here. You said, hence the problem. Moments of discipline are so hard because there is such a wide gap between what I want and what they need. Yeah. And that's when I read out loud to my husband. So can you give us a little bit of just encouragement in this area of discipline and how maybe yeah, some yeah. habits can help? Definitely. Um 
so where I was going with that is I've just realized that as any parent does early on, that their instincts and discipline are not quite right. You know, like, I mean, what we do almost inevitably is kind of blame, shame, get angry, or try to control our kids into the right behavior because it's hard and it's so frustrating and sometimes annoying. And, and uh, that's just the natural reaction, which again, like this, I think in habit, your habit is to go towards some sort of anger or controlling or blaming or shaming. It takes real work to get to what I think the biblical idea of discipline is, and that is that God disciplines those he loves, right? Like he's always moving us wayward children towards him through his discipline, never away from him. And he's always changing our hearts, never just our behavior. And so when I started to realize the gap between what you just you know, what you just read, what I want and what they need, I thought, you know what? Discipline, like everything else, is a real important place for habits to start to get some of those knee-jerk reactions that get us towards reconciliation, love, forgiveness, rather than the coldness and absence that, that usually happens from blaming and shaming. And so I can share a couple quick habits on that. Please. Um, if you want me to go into the specifics. Okay. Sure. Um, two really important ones for us. One for me is what I call a pause prayer. And it's just the idea that now I don't go by habit. I won't go into a moment of discipline without saying sort of uh, what a lot of people call a breath prayer on the way to it. So I'm not talking about you know, you hear the boys fighting upstairs, right? And maybe they're fighting over a video game controller or one's about to bash the other with a block. Who knows what it is? Right. Um, on the way there, I'm just saying something to myself like, Lord, remind me that I too get really frustrated when people steal my stuff. Or I too actually don't like to share my my things, like my money. I don't like to give it away, you know? Um, so remind me that I'm more like them than not and help me parent with the grace that you parent me, grace and truth. Now, again, yeah. Monica, like these words aren't as precise as it, like, I think of sure. some to use, but oftentimes it just help, you know, or humble me or help mm -hmm. me be gentle, you know, but mm -hmm. it does help. It does change. Like as if this is news to you or our listeners, prayer really does change you. Mm -hmm. And it really, really makes sense to bring it into urgent moments like that. So that's a really good one to help me remember that I kind of need the grace and truth that they also need. So it helps me parent um, in empathy and sympathy, but also, also helping to be Jesus to them in that moment. Another really, really important one for us in our family is what we call a brother's hug. And this started with the littles. Um, I've realized that as any parent does, you know, when you get them to apologize and forgive, they just sort of say it with like the mad sort of angry shoulders, like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. I forgive you. And, um, if I, you know, you get the sense that like, they're not quite right again, like they're trying. And so we, based on the, the science and just sort of the common sense that actually you just shared about hugs, what we do is we say, all right, now you guys got a hug and you've got to hold on until one of you laughs or smiles. And it's amazing how nine out of 10 times, this just immediately turns back into the silly fun wrestling match they were having, or like they remember and grin that they love each other more than they are frustrated with each other. The, the one out of 10 times is when maybe something else needs to be dealt with and you sense it's not quite right to force them to hug. And there's, you know, habits are flexible, right? But nine out of 10 times you realize 
we need some sort of liturgy or ritual to bring us back to each other. Um, and I noticed this a ton with my relationship with Lauren or, or uh, my wife or and to my older sons where the brother's hug doesn't quite fit with the older one anymore, but some sort of active presence does. Like when after we've had a moment of discipline, I'll just be like, you, um, let's sit together on the couch um, or you have to join me in doing that. Your punishment is you have to join me in this room and be together as little ways to steward. Cause and the whole thing here, right. Is that we're prone to move away from each other. And so we need habits of disciplines that, that move us back together. And that's what these habits are trying to get at. Mm, that's so good. I love that so much. Okay. So closely connected and a topic that brings up some, conflict in homes. Can you share a couple of your thoughts on um, on technology, screen time, any habits that have helped you? I, I really love your perspective on this. Yeah, I, I, I think about screens and technology a lot. Um, and anyone who reads The Common Rule will know that a lot of my habits are about technology. But of course, this is such a major, major issue for parents. So I, I will humbly admit, you know, we're learning, right? Because technology is rapidly changing. Yes. Our boys are every year growing older. So the one thing I'm sure of that I want every listener to hear is that t- the way that you and your children use technology is probably one of the most important factors in your discipleship to Jesus right now. And I really do mean that for parents and children. It's not just them who need to learn how to use technology right. It's us too. And it's a matter of discipleship because there are a thousand invisible forces behind the screens that are really, and I'm using this word intentionally, trying to disciple you into something. They're trying to form you into something. So my biggest sort of siren song is just to help parents realize that that screen time is formation time. So we just need to choose carefully and do what good parents do, just set limits and choose carefully. So I've got a paradigm that I share in the book of, of that the paradigm of curation, where curation implies you have you know one gallery wall or something, and you've got to have some limits and pick carefully. And that's really, I think every family will have different limits, and every parent and family will have different things that they pick. But my strong urge to parents is don't let the internet algorithms or your child's desire be the limits in the in the curation and picking. You would never do that for chocolate syrup, right? Like at some point, you got to say enough is enough. Um, you would never just hand them, like, hey, I put a full bottle of chocolate syrup in your backpack again today. So just tell me when you need a refill. Like, we shouldn't treat screens like that either. We should say, you know, this, there's a way to emotional health and there's a way to physical health and it, and it involves limits and choosing carefully. And so, yeah, I could share about our specific limits, but it's really about embracing that role as a parent and teaching your child probably the most important, one of the most important things that you'll teach them by the time they leave your house. Just how to use a screen well, with integrity, with, with honor, with character, because um, especially for boys, right, and, and all the, the, the struggles of lust and pornography and everything that are out there, there's just such an important discipleship skill for your children. It is. It is. And and I've talked a lot here about, you know, filters and accountability software and all of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before we leave this topic, though, I love your approach to how you really use the habits to set up the boundaries as far as like certain times, certain days. Talk to us a little bit more about that because we're we're on this topic. So now I want to just go a little bit further. But yeah. instead of saying, you know, 
just yes and no randomly, knee-jerk reaction, today it's okay, tomorrow it might not be. You have a little rhythm that you've found for your family. Give us that as an example, because I think that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I tell people this a lot. Like when you think about limits, rhythms are much more effective than rules, and they're much more real and natural too. So this is true for parents as well. Just um, rules often create the sense that uh, I've broken it, I'm worthless. Um, and sometimes you just, it's too hard, I can't obey it, so I give it up. Rhythms and habits are so powerful because they're more flexible, they're more normal, they endure longer. So some of the things that we do in our house right now are Friday night family movie nights. Um, we do Sunday cousins movies when all our family gets together for a Sunday family dinner. We typically have a Tuesday afternoon screen time where the boys can know that on Tuesday, that's a time where they'll, they'll be allowed to play with iPads or something. Um, we don't do screens in the cars. Um, and so we, and, and we don't do screens as a, as a norm. And so that's the point with, with all these rhythms, right? If they say, Hey, can we watch a movie tonight? I'm often like, well, is it Friday? Because you know, like that's when we do this, right? And and this is a great service to them because they don't have to live with the constant wonder and itch of like, is screen time anytime? Which I think is such a harsh way to, you know, raise your, it's so mean, it's kind of mean. It is, really. like, it is, but we all do that. Like you are yeah. busting me. But I, I think this solves a million problems. <laughs> and it's so obvious. And yet, what, I just think it, it's a big game changer. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we see this in the car a lot. Like we lived a lot of years of our young parenting, just tossing an iPhone back with Elmo yeah. song pulled up to try to get them to quiet down. And, and and this is, I want people to know this, like, and then we changed, we decided this actually wasn't helpful. And it wasn't helpful to create the expectation of screen, screen time every time we got in the car. And so any parent listening should know you can change like major changes. I've made major changes in my own use of technology after writing the common rule. Nobody's stuck with the habits they have. That's the beautiful thing about grace. It's real. You can change. Jesus is powerful. Um, but, but it does take work. And so, you know, we've, we've worked on setting these limits so our boys can know when screen time is going to happen. And of course they know that at the ages they're at now, we're going to pick what they watch. And that's, you know, as important as, you know, helping them choose their diet well, for example, or helping them choose their education well. They're, that's the role of a parent right now. And then right. and then they'll learn to choose. But but so right. those are some of the limits we use. And and I would just add, like, there are sick days where they get to watch movies all day. There are bad nights or rainy nights or things where things get canceled. And we're all like, you know what, let's just watch a movie tonight. And you watch all your whatever yes. you want. Like, and, and there's so, there's so much when you have good rhythms, you don't feel bad about saying, you know what, let's watch a family movie night on a random Wednesday night, because, you know, it's like a gracious exception to the norm and, and you have freedom to do that. And that's a lot of what I love about these kind of habits is they set up the healthy rhythm. So you don't feel bad when you have a piece of cake, you feel like, oh, now it's cake time, you know, now it's screen time. Like, um, so yeah, nobody think, think in rhythms, not rules. That is super helpful. I, I think that's really helpful. And, uh, you know, I've, I've said many times and I wrote in Boy Mom that I do think kids feel so much more secure when mom and dad tell them what is okay and what is not. Like they're actually yes, looking yes. to us. And I think with yes. technology, if we don't have those rhythms in place, that's what's going on. And I, and I do think that this has happened somewhat with my 11-year-old where it's like, so can I use the iPad? And it's kind mm -hmm. of 
you know, hit or miss. And so I'm going to make some changes based on what I've heard from you. So thank you for that. And, you know, you cover all different habits in this book. I think that people are going to find whatever it is they might be dealing with work, play, conversation, um, family devotions, marriage. Mm -hmm. You've really done a great job of making this super practical. And, um, and I, I, I can't say enough good about this book. So I'm really excited about it. And think we could talk a whole long time, but um, if there's sure, one, sure. one takeaway that you would want your readers to um, get from Habits of the Household, what would that be? I want, this is kind of goes along with the grace that we were just talking about. The biggest thing that I, I, I want people to know that their habits are forming them and they're forming their children. So habits matter to their spiritual formation. I, I do want parents to care and I want them at some point to have their hallway moment that I have where, you know, you feel humbled and realize, you know what, I do need to do something here. I do need to take action. The greatest compliment that I hear from people is like, I started trying this or that after I read read your book, because I I do want to write practically. But that said, what's so important that, and I always want like to end with, is to remember, and I read this at the, literally the end of every chapter in the book, just to make sure that people get it that to remember that your habits don't change God's love for you. The whole reason we're talking about this is because God's love for us can and should change our habits. So yeah, we will be, any talk of habits will leave people humbled and realizing, oh my gosh, my ordinary is kind of bad, scary, dangerous, you know, whatever. But, yeah. but that's where grace eliminates all shame or sense of failure and just reminds you that it's grace. It, the fact that grace is real means change is possible. And and one of the most powerful ways that God will change you is through your ordinary, the small things in your life that are your habits. And that's not to earn his love. It's all because of his love. So so I would just encourage people to go out with that gospel reminder that any work on this is rooted in, in the love of Christ for you. So you're standing on a strong foundation. You have nothing to earn, but he has so much to give. Mm, wow. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. And and just thanks for sharing so much um, hope and encouragement in Habits of the Household and in today's conversation. Uh, if people want to track you down and follow you and find your book, where can they go? They can go to my website, which is justinwhitmoreearly.com. Um, or you can also Google The Common Rule or Habits of the Household, and they both have their landing pages, and they'll send you to my Instagram or Twitter or something. I do, with all my critiques of social media, I still do use it in a limited fashion. <laughs> so I'm out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and then there's some real, there's some real good that can come from it. So, but there you know, people are always welcome to message me or drop me a note there. And, and we need to talk again, Monica, because I still feel like I didn't get to ask you as many <laughs> questions as I wanted to. Maybe after your next parenting book comes out, I can. We can stay in touch. Thank you. And I have a feeling people might ask for a part two of this because I think we could go through a lot of other habits and get practical some more. Um, But truly, thank you for your time. Excited about all you're doing and and can't wait to watch you raise those little boys into young men. (laughs) Thank you. And you bet. And I will be game for a part two if you are. But thank you so much for having me on. All 
right, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation, and I actually feel like we barely scratched the surface. I wanted to dive into a few of my favorite topics from his book, but he's got so much more to offer, so maybe we'll have Justin back on another time, but I do hope you can get your hands on his book as well. And there are links to his book and his website and all the other things that we chatted about in show notes, which you will find at monicaswanson.com forward slash episode dash 147. All right, have a wonderful rest of your week. And until next time, aloha.